This is Bellator Colloquium, a podcast of the Bellator Society. Bellator in Latin means warrior, and a colloquium is a conversation. We at the Bellator Society are online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful, and this podcast is our conversation about all those things and so much more. Meet us here weekly at Bellator Colloquium and at bellatorsociety.com for content that will hopefully lift you, inspire you, comfort you, and make you feel a part of our Bellator Society. Good morning, Bellator Society. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy Eddy and Fran's here with me. And today joining us on our season finale is our favorite Deacon, Deacon Matt Glover from Little Rock, Arkansas. Good morning, everyone. Hi, thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. Good morning, self-appointed chaplain. Self-appointed, but not really. Am I also the only deacon who comments on Bellator stuff or do we have Uh, only deacon? I'll have to think think about that. I probably, I mean, you're definitely the only deacon contributor. I was just curious how easily I got the favorite title. So (laughs) it was really a challenge. (laughs) You actually had it since the, since the get go, because I was looking back, you were our very first guest ever on the podcast and you were on the, that was the third episode we did. And this is episode number 60. And what brings this one to the, (laughs) what brings this one to the end of the season? The number 60. Just the number 60. (laughs) Gotcha. Okay. Fair enough. Six zero. <laughs> okay. I mean, do I need to Google some biblical significance in the number sixty to make it good? No, uh, no, no Matt, that makes total makes good. total sense to me. <laughs> makes total sense. It just felt right. But we're gonna end it on our um, one of our favorite topics, which is Catholic clicks. So we are we have a list of kind of hot topics that we're gonna run through, and we're gonna. Um, we're going to grill the deacon. No, I'm kidding. We're not grilling <laughs> you, but this is more like a smorgasbord. This is more like we're going to put a charcuterie of Catholic cliques out there. Choose what you like. If there's one we present to you that you're like, that's not really my taste. Then, okay. you know, you don't have to go. You don't have to have that. Okay. <laughs> that's not you, your cheese. That you sounds can, great. That's not your cheese. I was going to say, you can get another salami bite. You do not have to have... <laughs> That sausage? Well, I didn't want to say sausage because that would be weird too. You never really know what you know the world <laughs> thinks. <laughs> I have a neighbor. Speaking of sausage, I have a neighbor who is going to go to Hungary today, but she actually oh. decided not to. Um, but she was saying that she was looking up. Um, her husband's going, and, and anyways, she decided to stay home. But she was did a quick like kind of history search of. Hungry, the do's and the don'ts, and you know, and one of them was, um, I guess they're known for their blood sausage. She was no. like, but everything I've read says don't eat. It's like a delicacy there, but they're like, don't no. eat it. Yes. Yeah. No. She it's says like, pretty gross. What is the stuff that allegedly in England has something similar to that, like pie? What is it? Blood pie or something? Oh. No. My jaws are watering again. <laughs> <laughs> I need coffee. You need to start talking about cysts. And, <laughs> and your tooth falling out. <laughs> Good time. Oh. Well, that's all the time we have for today. <laughs> Matt doesn't like this cheese. He's leaving. <laughs> he doesn't like charcuterie at all. <laughs> all okay, right, so what's what our first? first? What is our first click? Um, we have here in Arizona in the Diocese of Phoenix. Um, our Phoenix Diocese has come out against 
Proposition 207, which is the legalization of recreational marijuana. Mm. So the church is against it, but is that, Matt, is that normal for um, for diocese to kind of come out um, vocally and kind of get behind um, on one side or the other of a proposition like this? About yeah, well, let me... Let me say uh, two things as disclaimers at the outset. Number one, recreational marijuana use is not my cheese uh, <laughs> or my sausage <laughs> or any anything else. And uh, Duly number noted. two, <laughs> number two, I work for my diocese uh, here in Little Rock, and so obviously I'm, I'm speaking uh, in my individual capacity and not necessarily on right. behalf of or representing my diocese on any of this. And we have not had a uh, recreational marijuana proposal really pushed uh, here in Arkansas yet that day may come at some point and so I wouldn't want to speak for whatever position our diocese might take but I can tell you that um, you know based on my interactions with my counterparts in other parts of the country I think the church views very differently uh, the proposals regarding medical marijuana mm-hmm. versus recreational marijuana and mm-hmm. so I think that there's there's room for disagreement. I mean, a lot of these matters, especially legislative matters, are matters of prudential judgment. And uh, and so Catholics can often disagree in good faith about what the best proposal is for, you know, for example, how do we, uh, how do we fix what we, I think, all agree is a broken immigration system. But how do we go about showing care and love to immigrants? There can be reasonable disagreement, uh, you know, over policy uh, issues regarding that. Um, and so same thing with medical marijuana. I think there can be reasonable disagreement as to uh, w- with amongst Catholics as to uh, whether medical marijuana permitting it civilly is a good idea or not. Uh, and so I think you've seen dioceses where medical marijuana has been pushed uh, and a diocese has not taken a position on it one way or the other, because yeah. I think there's room for good faith disagreement. Recreational marijuana use, I think most dioceses would conclude is kind of a bridge too far. Right. Uh, uh, because it, uh, it really does open the door for a slippery slope to other more societal wide issues and problems. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, I, and this is all just anecdotally, but having anecdotally heard stories from other states where they have. Uh, widened and permitted the use of recreational marijuana, uh, you've seen kind of a, a real ripple effect on uh, increased uh, uh, issues within the homeless population, yeah. uh, increased uh, 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 mental health issues just in general uh, becoming really problematic. And we don't know uh, the impact uh, fully of marijuana use on people's brains mm-hmm. long term. But we do know, and I'm no scientist, but from what I've read in the news and studies, there's increasing evidence that the earlier someone starts using marijuana, uh, it really does impact the chemical structure of, uh, of, your, of your brain. And so uh, permitting recreational marijuana use, you know, I mean, we know when we permit uh, cigarette usage uh, or alcohol usage, if it's permitted recreationally, even above a certain age, even if we restrict it below a certain age, we know that's going to increase the access that minors, uh, young people are going to have to it. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I mean, even if, even if we could say that, you know, adults ought to be able to make their own decisions. Um, I think the, the church really has to look at, uh, you know, what are the ripple effects of it? 
Um, and so I, I'm not surprised that the Diocese of Phoenix came out against uh, against this proposal for recreational marijuana. Yeah. Do you see that there's a um, a moral difference between recreational alcohol use versus marijuana use? Like any anything? Do do you perceive any moral distinguishing? characteristics between the two that might make us as Catholics say this one's okay and this one is not so much okay or is it just yeah. the unknown that makes it concerning um it's a good question I would not pretend to be a moral theologian but I, I have read a number of I mean I've seen there have been significant disagreements mm-hmm. um, within Catholic moral theological circles is this very question so I mean the question that is often posed is uh, so I have two glasses of beer one night at dinner, uh, knowing that having two glasses of beer, and I'm not driving, mm-hmm. you know, after, you know, so I'm not putting anybody in danger, but I'm mm-hmm. having two glasses of beer, two glasses of wine. And I know that in having the two glasses of beer or wine, I'm going to get a little tipsy, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, depending on how much I eat and I'm going to, I, I know that in drinking it, I'm going to feel the effects of it. Not necessarily. You will be altered in some way. I'll be altered in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the the question that is often posed is, so it, what is the difference? I mean, it's, you know, it's a chemical interaction with the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what, what difference does it make whether that chemical interaction is caused by alcohol or is caused by marijuana or the chemical component TPC within marijuana? And I, I mean, I think that's a fair and just and good question. I think that the, uh, and and of course, that's what led our country to having prohibition, you know, decades ago, uh, was because of concerns about alcohol abuse and the the negative impact that it had on people and on society. And I would say uh, that certainly alcohol, if drunk for the wrong reasons, uh, can be morally problematic. Just because something's legal doesn't mean it's moral, obviously. the legalization of marijuana and the and the moral question about marijuana in my opinion are distinct and different from uh from alcohol and i admit that i could be totally wrong on this mm-hmm. and i admit it you know i've come from a we're in in a society and culture where it's normal to drink alcohol mm-hmm. whereas it is not normal in generations past for the vast majority of people to smoke, smoke marijuana. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's not normalized across society. Mm-hmm. And so I'm probably biased in that regard. And I have to accept and recognize my own biases. But, um, but I think what we know of marijuana is that uh, it alters the brain in a different way than how alcohol alters the brain. Mm-hmm. And from what we can, uh, from what we know right now, and I'm not an expert in this area, it, it has the potential to alter the brain uh, long term in ways that are, uh, are are unknown at this point. And so I think, you know, when we start looking at um, opening that up to broad swaths of society uh, without any reasonable justification for it, again, we're not talking about medical marijuana, mm-hmm. uh, where there might be a real medical need for it. And maybe someone's but, you know, particularly susceptible to being addicted to getting addicted to opioids or, mm-hmm. or whatever else. And so I think there could be a judgment call there uh, where Catholics could disagree in good faith. But with recreational marijuana, to me, it's the unknown is really problematic. And uh, the reality that um, 
you know, drinking beer might be a gateway to other kinds of hard alcohol, but it's not generally a gateway to uh, all of a sudden, you know, doing meth. Right. Not necessarily. But yeah. whereas uh, marijuana, and I know the gateway drug option or argument is often kind of shot down too quickly, in my opinion, as, you know, there's no evidence of that and there's no, uh, you know, there's no way to prove that, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, I think we have enough anecdotal evidence uh, to say that there's a reasonable likelihood that uh, smoking marijuana recreationally does lead people to want to experiment over time. Some people, not all people, mm -hmm. not all people, but some people to want to experiment over time with harder and harder drugs. Mm -hmm. And so if we have a society where recreationally we're permitting these escapes from reality uh, yeah. by by chemical uh, interactions with the brain. And that's what it is. It, you know, it's wanting to get a break from reality. Yeah. Uh, that, and it's and that is uh, permitted over a broader basis. Uh, I, that's a real concern that mm -hmm. I would have from a, from a, not just from a legal standpoint, but from a moral standpoint and, and alcohol can be abused for the same reason, you know, it's just an escape from reality. And, and there's obviously addiction issues with alcohol uh, that, that we, we still don't know fully about. Um, but I think anytime that as a society, we're kind of permitting and promoting uh, things that help other people to escape from reality, I think that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think what, what I heard you saying was, you know, people who are, that, you know, marijuana is many people believe it's, it's a gateway drug to meth. And, and if you look at our homeless population, um, that there are so many people with mental illnesses and drug addiction, you know, and, and the church cares for those people. Like we, um, yeah. You know, we have all it these... doesn't it doesn't seem to lead other people into being more productive members of society. Right. You know, and it's at least it's at best neutral. And again, we're not talking about medical marijuana or I'm not talking about med the medical no, side. Not, yeah. Of it, so, yeah. All right. Well, good on the Diocese of Phoenix. Good on Bishop Olmstead. And um, hopefully as a as a Catholic in the Diocese of Phoenix, um, speaking for myself, I um, support the bishop in this, and so I hope it um, does not pass. All right, moving on. Check. Check. <laughs> Fran, what's yes. next? Uh, let's do, um, let's do Jim Gaffigan. <sighs> <sighs> okay, so. Talk about oh. fireworks. <laughs> I know Man. it. I know it. Now, I don't know how much I want to say about Jim Gaffigan's political views, because I imagine that there are lots of Catholics that share them who are very faithful Catholics, you know, in terms of frequenting the sacraments and, and, you know, care for the poor and, you know, all of the things that might be considered, um, all of the political considerations that might be considered more left-leaning, you know. I, I think that we have a, a broad cloth of Catholic interest here. And, you know, again, I, I don't want to challenge too much of Jim Gaffigan's politics, except that he went crazy on Twitter this week. <laughs> like, <laughs> vulgar crazy. 
so bonkers. And what was disappointing to me, not was that he had these opinions or even even spoke strongly about his his politics um, using his personal platform. He has every right to do that. But he was so demeaning to to anyone who would think differently from him. And I just feel like that is the systemic problem that we are all experiencing in the world at large right now is we have no tolerance for anyone else's opinion because we've also lost the idea that tolerance actually means that we can peacefully coexist with someone who thinks something differently from us. Yes. Yeah. And it was amazing to see um, his divided support. You know, there were a lot of people, I will say, from what I read, a lot of the, the you know, people who disagreed with him said, oh, man, you used to be funny, you know, bye, you know, mm-hmm. not following anymore. Oh, man, I was so looking forward to seeing you, you know, at your um, next event. Um, looks like I'm giving those tickets away, you know. But the people who agreed with him were like, good for you. Good for you, those loony tunes. I mean, they were just as, like, vicious <laughs> Um, and I was just like, and I kind of was watching it in real time, which I never am like on Twitter that much. And I was like, oh my god. But it was goodness. like a train wreck. Like if it you had any going, inkling it was happening, you're like, I can't stop yeah. this. It kept going and going and going. And then the next morning he kind of doubled down a little bit. And um, I was like, It wasn't drunk tweeting after no, all. No, he's he even <laughs> got mean sleep it. and kept at it. <laughs> what how how first of all, not just him. But I personally feel um, I've been a little disheartened with like Catholic quote unquote celebrities such as the Jim Gaffigans of the world who mm. um, have have kind of displayed this behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, I, I just, um, I think people have collectively lost their minds. And, <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, you, you know, I, uh, to paraphrase is, Jim Gaffigan, they're effing minds. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm someone who, by nature, is I, I mean, I have very strong opinions about a number of different matters, but I'm by nature not confrontational, right. and I really hate. Uh, I got off of Facebook earlier because I found that I was uh, starting to dislike people who, who I know and who I previously liked. And, uh, and whereas on Twitter, on Twitter, I can just dislike society as a whole, you know, yeah. but yeah. they're not, but they're, but they're not people that I personally know and interact with. But I, so I, I you know, I, I shy away from, uh, from confrontation and, uh, you know, I, uh, it's probably my own issue with, with that, but I really, uh, what really disappoints me about it is that, uh, for and I like Jim Gaffigan and I like his comedy and I've followed his comedy and uh, and I partly understand where he's coming from with his level of frustration mm-hmm. over certain issues within the country or his level of frustration with uh, how our president has handled certain issues and and just the the mode and the manner in which certain things have been handled and and so I sympathize with that. You're not going to win anybody over at all coming across the way that he came across in a, in a public forum. So, I mean, it's one thing to, you know, you're having dinner with a good friend of yours and and you're just wanting to vent about the president or about a Senator or about a a justice on the Supreme court, uh, some decision that was made in the Supreme court. It's one thing to, I mean, you got to vent sometimes Mm -hmm. and and everybody has to vent and you got to be able to vent to people that, you know, you can trust 
and that are not going to go around saying, oh, you won't believe what Matt Glover vented to me about the other day. <laughs> I mean, you got to be able to vent. Yeah. But do, but doing so publicly and and then with the mindset of, well, if I do so publicly in a vulgar, I mean, it wasn't just that it was publicly right. venting. He, he was vulgar. Yeah. Uh, and it was crude and it was personally attacking, you know, uh, of all people, like America's grandfather. I mean, personally attacking folks. So I just, you know, the, you know, the irony is for someone who's fed up with a a president about who makes personal attacks to then employ those same measures, uh, you know, uh, the, Jesus's admonition to us that just keeps popping up in my brain is uh, uh, pray for your persecutors, Mm -hmm. bless them, uh, do not curse them, bless Mm -hmm. them and pray for them and love them. And so, you know, for us as Catholics, you know, and it is hard and I, you know, I, I don't always love everything that, that our president does. And Mm -hmm. I make my disagreements with him known to those, you know, with whom I, uh, you know, can confide. And, and when it impacts my work, you know, I, you know, I'm very honest and open with my bishop about things that I like or don't like about decisions that have been made politically. But uh, I don't go out and personally uh, trash and attack and abuse those with whom I disagree. Yeah. And you, and the frustrating part is with it is Jim Gaffigan may have some very legitimate points. I mean, he may have some very legitimate points of concern uh, about our president but he's not convincing anybody who's on the fence. And Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about convincing people who are solidly Mm pro-Trump, but people who are on the fence who are really struggling this coming election with. Who would also be sympathetic with his points. Right. Who would also be sympathetic. You know, man, I, you know, I just, I don't feel like I can vote for, and I'm not saying me personally, I'm saying there are plenty of other Mm -hmm. people out there who, who I think feel like I can't really, I really don't like the idea of voting for president Trump, but, but uh, Joe Biden, you know, is is a bridge too far in the other direction. And then I've got, you know, pro-life issues on the on abortion specifically yeah. with Joe Biden. And and uh, and so really feel torn. Maybe I should just write in a third party candidate. And, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, what do I do? How do I navigate these struggles of conscience? Well, helping someone navigate those struggles of conscience uh, is, uh, you know, Jim Gaffigan's approach to it, I don't think is is helpful. And I, mm-hmm. and I, I know in the back on the back end of it, he kind of issued an apology and Jim Gaffigan has a wider audience than I will ever, ever have, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, he will probably never hear this interview. And even if he does, yeah, I mean, he will, you know, rightly think, well, who's this random yeah. Deacon guy from Little Rock, Arkansas. And so I, I would never presume to have as big of a platform as Jim, Jim Gaffigan does. But it, but it did sadden me because I feel like there's a, there are, have been opportunities for those with platforms like that mm-hmm. to reach out in positive and constructive ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for and on the back end, when he came in and said, well, you know, I'm really sorry, uh, partly about, you know, some of the language I used. And uh, but I was just I'm venting and I'm mm-hmm. really trying to I view this as an opportunity to try to convince folks about the fraud that is Donald Trump. Well, I don't think you're going to convince people who are really struggling and on the fence that Trump is a total fraud by going on Twitter rants that are worded that way. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, if anything, it, I think it pushes people in the opposite direction of mm-hmm. saying, well, I don't want to be aligned with that either. So, and if you if you 
watched it in real time. This happened on the final night of the Republican National Convention. And so it was right after Trump's speech. And so the week before was the Democrat National Convention. And, you know, we had watched weeks, you know, days of different speakers and everything. And I want to be honest with you. I don't know what y'all thought about it. I'm, I worked in the Bush administration, so I'm a conservative. Um, I'm a, I'm a, you know, Republican voter. I'm not going to try and, you know, come off as unbiased, but in my most unbiased way, I will say I watched the DNC and it's so weird because everything's live stream Mm -hmm. this go around because of COVID. So normally you've got throngs of fans cheering, Mm -hmm. you know, stadium, like auditoriums full. And so the DNC did, you know, they did their best. They did the live stream. And every night my husband and I would go, God, that was weak sauce. You know, it just, the, it was fuzzy. It was, you know, um, just the quality and the production. And I thought to myself, because the DNC, as you know, they're always way closer to Hollywood elites. You know, they're, they're being, um, you know, they have like Eva Longoria and all these like big celebrities sort of emceeing. Is Eva Longoria a big celebrity? <laughs> Don't tell her. <laughs> That's the example she thinks she <laughs> is. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad. Yes, they yes. Her. Yeah, she was on Real Housewives. Okay. Um, oh, okay. So, so their, but their production value was really kind of weak sauce. And I was thinking, oh gosh, we're going to be terrible. Because yeah. the Republicans are usually always less techie, mm-hmm. less celebrity, less Hollywood. So we're always like a step down or so. And I will say this, the RNC production wise was really, really good. Yeah. And, you know, they ended really on a high note. Granted, it was at the White House, which a lot of people had major Mm -hmm. issues with. The fireworks were like off the chart. I mean, it was just, it kind of ended really for the Republicans, Mm -hmm. at least on a high note. And that's where he just went crazy. It was almost like he was so frustrated at seeing, you know, um, it was yes. to emotionally match. Emotionally, yeah. yes. It really, um, that's what it seemed like to me. Cause I kind of ended watching it and I was still sitting there looking, you know, at the coverage on my phone. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at Jim Gaffigan. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, it just kept going and going and going. But do you think there was some of that, like, I don't want to say jealousy, but some of that, that he was just so mad that he, if you believe what he said is true or not, that he delivered it well. I mean, it was a good speech for the president. The optics looked really good. And if you hate somebody that much, I can see how it would make your brain want to explode. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, There were a lot of, you know, and both had Catholic speakers, which I think we should talk about too. Like they both had their fair share of Catholic speakers kind of endorsing them because the Catholic vote's a pretty big vote. Like both really court Catholics. Um, But that's my take on it. Do you Mm. think that I'm, um, that's biased? (laughs) Well, I think you revealed your bias. And so, I mean, yeah. yeah. And in some, in some case, I I would imagine that, you know, if you're not a Republican, you would look at the Republican national convention and think, Hmm, that's weak sauce in whatever context you have created for yourself. I don't know, but I do think that you're on, in my opinion, you're on that, you know, if, if you view your opponent as having performed well, then the only, like, if you're, if you're a human being, not the only response, but outside of the Christian context and trying to be like our Lord and savior, your natural (laughs) response is, man, I'm kind of mad. They did a good job. And I need to match that with my, with my, you know, dislike of them to put a balance out in the world. And so maybe that was his, maybe you're right. Maybe that was his effort to put some, some yin to the yang there. 
I'll say also, Tracy, you mentioned uh, George W. Bush, and I, and I'm I've never worked in a political administration in my life, and but I do remember uh, something you just mentioned, kind of uh, brought this memory back. Uh, in one of his debates with uh, with Al Gore, uh, they were debating back and forth, and at, and at some point, um, uh, the insinuation was that George W. Bush thought that Al Gore was going to uh, uh, hated the country, hated mm-hmm. the country, and wanted to see it torn down. Yeah. And George W. Uh, uh, kind of interjected and said, "No, I, you know, I." I don't think that uh, Al Gore hates the country. Uh, I, I think he thinks he is proposing policies that he thinks are best for the country. Mm-hmm. I just happen to think he's wrong. Mm-hmm. I just I think it's wrong. And uh, but I but I don't that I don't think he yeah. hates the country. And uh, you know it, it, it's that's that struck a chord with me. It's kind of always stayed with me, uh, in part because. Uh, one of the things that St. Ignatius, and I probably have mentioned this before on one of these podcasts, but one of the things St. Ignatius of Loyola uh, really has tried to drill into his followers and uh, uh, and those who are familiar with Ignatian spirituality may be familiar with this, but just the notion that you want to always start in a place of presuming the best about yeah, someone right. else's intentions, that you're presuming the best about their intentions. Now, Donald Trump... I think very clearly does not presume the best about his political opponent's intentions. <laughs> but, you know, part of Jim Gaffigan, getting back to Jim Gaffigan, part of his Twitter rant, he explicitly said uh, that he didn't always agree with previous presidents like Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter and George Bush, but he always felt like they had the best intentions. Uh, mm-hmm. But he throws that out the window for, for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, I just think it's a really, I mean, it's fine to not trust people. Sure. I mean, I, yeah. you know, it's fine to not trust politicians in general. Um, but I think to just automatically, to automatically assume not only that you're not going to give people the benefit of the doubt in terms of what their best intentions are, but you're going to assume the exact opposite. Yeah. You're going to assume that every single decision they ever make about anything is always with the worst of intentions. Right. And I think that's where, Jim Gaffigan lost uh, a, a chunk of kind of more undecided, you know, fence sitting folks. Yeah. Uh, you know, do I think that some of President Trump's decisions have been made with bad intentions? Yes, I do. And I've not agreed with them. But do I think that every single one of his decisions is some nefarious underlying bad intention? No, I, you know, I don't think that. I, I And I, I wouldn't think that. I didn't think that about Bill Clinton. I didn't think that about uh, Barack Obama. Uh, I didn't agree with a lot of decisions that Barack Obama made, but I didn't think that they were always with these nefarious, evil, bad intentions. Right. Some of some of were some of them with what I think were bad intentions. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, prosecuting, deciding to go on ahead and prosecute the little sisters of the poor on the HHS, you know, contraceptive mandate exemption. That 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 decision politically made no sense to me at all whatsoever. I think I think it was, I think it was with not good intentions personally. It was bullish. Um, it was bullying. It was yep. bullying. It was. And mm-hmm. um, but and has Trump done the same thing in certain contexts? You know, yeah. I think have I done the same thing? Yes. We're all sinners. Everyone, every human being is a sinner and has been deprived of the glory of God, and that's why we need a savior. 
Yeah. And so we all fall short of the glory. We all do it. But to get on a high horse and in a very public manner and vulgarly, you know, just assume the absolute worst about every single decision that a leader has made. Mm-hmm. Um, it is um, even if it's tr- let me say this, even if that's true, you're not winning people. You're not winning people over who are kind of struggling with it mm-hmm. by right. using that tactic. Right. Yeah. If you're undecided right now strong arming somebody is not probably not the way to go. Cause I think, I think most people are strongly in one category or the other, but the, the middle they're, they're like you said, they're not looking to get bullied into one side or the other. And I'm, and I'm coming at it, not from a, I mean, the, the political consultants out there may, if they hear this may say, well, Matt, you're just completely dead wrong on that. That's not how you win elections. I'm not talking about winning elections. Yeah. I'm talking from a Catholic standpoint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do we convert people's minds and hearts? And how do we show the love of Jesus Christ while we're trying to do that? Mm-hmm. And Self-indulgent um, rants are probably not the way. Not Speaking helpful. of Catholics, yeah. um, the, so I brought up the RNC and the DNC, and both of them had their fair share of, of Catholics. You know, the, the yeah. Democrats mm-hmm. had Father James Martin, um, and the what, what was the sister's name that they had? Um, oh, the, the, the one religious... from the, on the Democrats. She was the head of the um, uh, Sister Susan Campbell. She was a, a sister yeah. who started the Nuns on the Bus. Nuns yes. on the Bus. Mm-hmm. And then the Republicans had Cardinal Dolan, and they had um, Sister Deidre or Dee Dee, um, whatever her last name is, the military surgeon. <laughs> Kind of mm-hmm. bad, bad soldier spy, sister, sister, um, a I mean, surgeon, sister, surgeon. Um, and so you know, they both could say, Hey, look, I've got the Catholics. Hey, look, yeah. I've got the Catholics. Who, who, who did y'all think really resonated? Um, I mean, I think they probably spoke to who their intended audiences were. And Cardinal Dolan made it very clear that he wasn't there endorsing anyone, he's saying a prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said a beautiful prayer and I'll even give father James Martin. Credit. I was going to say that very thing. Yeah. His prayer was, was legitimately Catholic. He, and I think it actually angered some of the exactly. <laughs> Democrats because yeah. he oh, opened good. up protection of the unborn. And so that was, I don't think maybe what they were expecting, but um, so you've got to give both Colonel Dolan and father Martin credit um, mm-hmm. for, for their prayers that they offered. Yeah. I say thumbs up to both of the of both of both Colonel Dolan and uh, James Martin for their prayers um, because yeah. I think that they were they were legitimately Catholic offerings. They, yeah. they went and did what they were asked to do, and and you know really preached the the church's um, faith as as best they could in the time that they were given. What I found frustrating and. Matt, this is kind of where I want to throw to you for your opinion as a as a canonist. Really, is after Sister Didi specifically. I don't I don't recall hearing this at all about Sister uh, uh, Susan Campbell. Campbell. Um, I don't remember hearing this at all about her because I mean her whole thing is about politics. The nuns on the bus are a political action group. Um, mm-hmm. But when Sister Didi spoke, there were so many people that came out and said, well, that was a completely inappropriate use of a religious. You know, that is not how Catholics are supposed, Catholics are not supposed to be outspoken. Well, religious are not supposed to be outspoken about politics. And I know that priests can't run for political office, but is there something canonically that I'm missing? Like, cannot religious speak out politically? I mean, is is that inappropriate? Is it just not the moray? What's going on there? Yeah, so I mean, it's a couple of different factors, and um, there is a 
there's a section in the code on expectations of of clergy of clerics and not all religious are clerics and so right. a cleric uh, is a is a uh, bishop priest or a deacon someone who's ordained um and so clerics and this is uh, this canon 287 is what specifically talks about political parties and so just so everybody's aware of it uh, paragraph two of that says that clerics are not to have an active part in political parties and in governing labor unions unless, unless in the judgment of the competent ecclesiastical authority, the protection of the rights of the church or the promotion of the common good requires it, hmm. requires it. So there's kind of an exception there, but the general rule is clerics, uh, bishops, priests, deacons are not to have an active part in political parties. Now, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, what does it mean to have an active part in a political party? Uh, I don't think, certainly I don't think that there's any problem at all with a cleric who's been invited to give an invocation or a prayer mm-hmm. at a political rally from doing so. I mean, the moment that we cease praying for our political parties right. and for our country, I mean, that's, that, you know, that's a problem. It's always a danger. I mean, the reality is it's always a danger that by Cardinal Dolan accepting an invitation to pray at the RNC, didn't he pray at, at Trump's inauguration? Am I imagining that? Oh, I think you're. I think yeah. it was participatory in some part of that. Yeah, I, I think so you're right. Gave an invocation at it. I could be wrong. Yeah. It might have been. Might have been Obama's inauguration. But he gave some kind of inauguration prayer as well. And uh, but the the risk of that and the risk of Father Martin praying at the Democrat convention is obviously that it's going to look like you are favoring one side of the over mm-hmm. the other. You know, to Father Martin's credit, he said, you know, if I'm invited to pray at the Republican National Convention, I would pray this ex- same exact prayer. And so uh, it it's different, though, to arguably to give a speech at a convention. Mm-hmm. So when you give a speech at a convention, uh, the implication is you are endorsing uh, this party or this party's platform or this candidate, mm-hmm. even if you don't say that explicitly, certainly that's kind of the implication. And mm-hmm. it, um, you know, there has kind of been, and this is, this is my but, own personal bias involved, but I, in friend, one of your points, it, I think over the years, there's been kind of a double standard where more progressive leaning, uh, Catholic religious and clerics could get involved in, uh, political campaigns, political rallies, political events. And that was seen as a good, that was seen as the church helping to promote social justice issues or whatever. Uh, but when a, uh, a religious or cleric gets involved on a more conservative end, then, uh, you know, the, the red flags come out and say, no, that's, that's going too far. You can't do that. And uh, that may be my own personal bias, but that seems to be kind of the history. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I, I did kind of notice a little bit of a double standard there where the nuns on the bus sister, it was kind of a, oh, good for her. She's fighting the good fight. Mm-hmm. But the, the other sister was just like, oh, you know, you can't, you can't have a nun too talking far. there. At a, yeah. It's too far. <laughs> yeah. Um, too far supporting life. Supporting that was my sense too. Okay. Do we, what we're running, we're running up on time. Cause I know Matt Glover has, he has an appointment he needs to attend to. Do we want to, he has um, Deacon stuff. He's got, he's got his real job. <laughs> um, his, the stuff he gets paid for. Yeah. Do we want, is there something else that we want to touch on 
uh, real fast with him because we can actually keep going after he is released to do his real job and we can do our last <laughs> little bits without him. But I want to I want to like squeeze water from the stone. What's the last thing we can get from Matt Glover? Can, can we talk peace in the Middle East? And the Catholic implication for peace in the Middle East, like. Should we be cheering that? It seems like a really good good thing um and into that note i wanted to talk about this tattoo you can get on pilgrimage in the middle east that's really why i want to talk about peace in the middle east because there's a tattoo Segway artist to tattoos. <laughs> peace and tax i have no tattoos but if i were to have one i would get it in the cross of the holy Sepulchre. Was, I, I thought we were going to transition into this great fatima movie and, <gasps> oh and, and, that's then now I'm hearing about tattoos in the Middle East. And Is I, that your cheese? Those are, those What's are, your those cheese? are polar opposites. Well, let me Be just fast. say this quickly about, about peace in the Middle East. Okay. I do think for us, especially as Catholics, and I know our audience is broader than just Catholics uh, listening to this podcast, but you know, we often forget the hugely long historical presence of Catholic Christians in the Middle East. Um, and there are East, largely Eastern Catholics which a lot of mm-hmm. Latin Roman Catholic, Latin Catholics hear and think, well, they may not be in full communion with the church. We actually have this, ent- there's an entire, so here's the, here's the code of Canon law. All right. It sits on my desk cause I have to. And, uh, <laughs> but there's an entire another one of these equally as thick that covers all of the Eastern churches. Um, and, and they're fully in communion with where they're fully Catholic. And uh, so, I mean, peace in the middle East is not just about uh, protecting uh, the safety of Muslims and Jews. Uh, and that's hugely important and is obviously probably the, the most prominent thing that comes to people's minds. But we have huge swaths of Catholic Christians and non-Catholic Christians in the Middle East who really, uh, in recent years especially, have been, uh, uh, I shouldn't say completely killed off, but there have been real efforts uh, mass to extermination kill off, to, to mass kill yeah. you know significant portions of those communities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to wipe the kind of the historical memory of them from the face of the earth mm-hmm. and so the more peace that we can have civilly politically uh, in the Middle East it will in you know both indirectly and directly benefit mm-hmm. our uh, Catholic and non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters over there who are really living under oppressive regimes uh, sometimes and who have no one really to speak for them because they're the forgotten minority over there, um, you know, between, because everybody's attention goes to Jewish Muslim relations. So. Right. So, um, so, so that we can touch on Fatima movie before you have to jump off peace in the, I'm, what I'm taking from you, which was my gut peace in the Middle East is a good thing. It's a good thing for everyone. It's a really good thing for Catholics. But if you go on pilgrimage, there is a, there is a tattoo shop that's 700 years old and they do it like a pilgrimage tattoo. And it's the cross of the Holy Sepulcher. Um, so look them up. If you're going now that there's some newfound peace, if you're going over there, get a tattoo. <laughs> okay. Fatima movie. Final, yeah. final, final round. Yeah, so Tracy, you've actually seen this, haven't you? Brain has too. Twice yesterday. It? Oh man, I have. I'm I'm planning to watch it this weekend. I don't know that my wife knows that yet. So, but I haven't watched She'll it yet, it. and I can I cannot wait. I've watched multiple, you know, trailers for it, mm-hmm. and seriously, when I watch the trailers, I don't get chills very easily. 
but when I watch the trailers, I mean, I'm getting chills, mm-hmm. you know, watching yeah. the, and, and the, the great thing about this movie is that, I mean, you just, you look at the cast and anybody who looks at the cast, you know, you're going to recognize three or four different actors mm-hmm. yeah. who are big name actors who are in this cast. And so it's a, you know, the Catholic church, uh, gets just lambasted in the media and in popular culture, sometimes justifiably uh, because of its own uh, sinfulness and and uh, just terrible history on uh, how we've handled certain things in the past. So some of it's legitimate, but you know we don't. It, it seems like it's been decades since uh, Hollywood has produced uh, films that have really uh, shown stories of. Catholic priests or religious in a heroic kind of light, mm, yeah. uh, in a really positive light. And that used to be very common, you know, back in the 50s and earlier. I mean, uh, you know, there's some great, uh, you know, mainstream films uh, that were about Catholics that mm. would never be made in today's day and age. You know, I think yeah. about A Man for All Seasons with yes. about Thomas More. I, you know, that movie doesn't get made today currently, mm-hmm. uh, or at least so I thought. And then I saw the Fatima stuff, and that gives me hope, because I mean this Fatima, uh, it, it looks extremely well produced. Yeah. The cast is top notch, and it's a, um, you know, it's it's a story about the real uh, human struggle of interacting with this miraculous uh, divine intervention in our world. And uh, the part about it that I'm excited to see is, and maybe y'all can comment on, is that struggle of, you know, I don't know if my little kid came to me saying, I saw a vision of Mary. I, (laughs) you know, my first thought would be, I need to take you to see a counselor really Mm -hmm. soon. You know, I mean, that would probably as a parent would be my first reaction is, Oh boy, my kid's gone. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) You know, here we go. And uh, I I hope my Bishop doesn't hear about this anytime soon. (laughs) And that's going to impact my job. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, so and it looks like from the trailers, that's part of the real struggle yeah. is uh, for, for the mom and for the other, the ecclesiastical authorities involved is, you know, they're very faithful, but they're, you know, faced with this supposed miracle. And, and uh, so just, uh, and it got me to thinking, you know, how would I, you know, kind of gave me my own, I haven't even seen the film yet. And I've already kind of done a examination of conscience about it of, you know, if God really, interacted with me in a direct and miraculous way or with someone whom I knew and loved, you know, how would I react, uh, you know, and would I, would I automatically be suspect or would mm-hmm. I presume the best intentions mm-hmm. about someone mm-hmm. who's, who's coming to me with something like that? Or do I just automatically assume the worst, which is, you know, I think I would, if I'm being honest with myself, I'd probably assume the worst. <laughs> so, which is not good, right. you know, and, uh, but kept, what did y'all think about the movie without giving telling, away anything? I'm not going to give away anything. I kept telling my kids, like, um, this is true. You know, as, as things were different scenes, you know, that are kind of right. crazy. Um, based I kept on a saying, true story that it really happened. These things happen. These people mm-hmm. really lived. Like, this nun just recently passed away and, you know, kind of in modern history. You know, I think we think of miracles as, like, Yes, miracles happen, but like crazy stuff like this, where like the mother of God comes in flesh form, you know, that yeah. stuff. Yeah, it happened, but like long, long, mm-hmm. long time ago. And, and this, the sun dances in the sky and hundreds of people. When that see happened, it. you know, 70, my kids were like, people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I kept telling I mean, the girls, like, 
this happened. This isn't like a story. This isn't something that one or two people said happened. Like there were all these witnesses. And um, so that was, that was just, I've been waiting to watch something like that with, you know, with our kids. And it was awesome. I just felt like I was left hanging. That's my only complaint. Did you feel like that, Fran? Um, No, no. I don't think I felt it in the same way that you described. Um, I did watch it two times (laughs) yesterday. Once with my child who was home for college for the night. I was like, would you like to have lunch with me? Would you like to watch this movie with me? And so we watched it during lunchtime. And then it was so good. Um, Last night, I said we had to watch it because, you know, you rent you rent it for like 48 hours. And I was like, we're going to get our money's worth out of this movie. (laughs) We're going to watch it all for 48 hours. (laughs) As many Jaegers to watch it in 48 hours as possible. But um, I will say that what struck me the most is um, just as you were alluding to Matt, the, the genuine humanity of dealing with the divine in such a direct way and um, the gentleness of God in even those circumstances, allowing people to, to receive him and to receive his mother and to receive the message in, in their own pacing. Like God doesn't impose himself, even in a miraculous way, he doesn't, like, even, even if the blessed mother appears to you, it's not going to be in such a way that you will not have human doubt about it, Mm -hmm. that you will not have the opportunity to use your reason to question what is happening to you in this world. And God allows that because he also gives us the grace to work it out. And that margin of grace is evident throughout the entire film. I, I cannot tell you how many times I cried just looking at this depiction of humanity and saying that could be me mm-hmm. like I relate to all of those feelings the mother yeah. the priest the child like all of it I'm like that that could be me and that's probably how I would deal with it like yeah. it was so beautifully done well acted as an actor you guys the was acting awesome. was it was really gorgeous. good Gorgeous. And just yeah. the production value. I mean, it was all so so well done. Um, yeah, I read so I read a review. I read a review about it. I think on I don't know Roger Ebert's website or Rotten Tomatoes. You know, one of those movie critic websites, and talked about how, from a production standpoint, it tried to uh, it would have these shots of nature mm-hmm. uh, in such a way that it the implication was that the divine was. Uh, you know, interacting with the world through nature and, and, but trying to, the way it was shot and mm-hmm. filmed was trying to uh, uh, focus in on that mystery, the mm-hmm. mysterious aspect of it. And uh, Fran, what you just said uh, made me think in conjunction with that, just the old Thomistic adage of uh, grace builds on nature. Absolutely. And so it's not like when we interact with grace that we are, uh, our human humanity. Yeah. Our humanity is completely sublimated mm-hmm. and, you know, God created us uh, human for a reason and we're mm-hmm. in this physical world for a reason. And we, and we, we do experience real grace and real moments of the divine, but that's never at the expense of our humanity yeah. or of uh, the real feelings or emotions that we might experience with it or doubts or concerns mm-hmm. or questions. And, and none of that means that the divine or the moments of grace aren't real. Mm-hmm. All it means is, God's not going to force himself on us Mm -hmm. and that grace builds on nature. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, you know, I'm excited to see that, that part of the movie specifically. And um, I saw one of the, one of the, in the trailer, at least one of the uh, visionaries, the boy didn't see Mary at first, but then, you know, then eventually did as it was, Oh, I see her now. And that really, that moment 
as small as it was kind of it gives me chills right now just talking about it because i think of all the times in my life where looking back i can see how god has been working in a particular mm-hmm. situation yeah. you know i you know whether you know and bad situations you know the loss of a loved one or a junkie situation at work or whatever it is um you know where i've really been struggling and then I, you look back and you see, oh, there was grace there, mm-hmm. but my nature didn't, hadn't caught up to it yet. Mm-hmm. Right. And then That's I, awesome. but then all of a sudden I hit a moment and I'm like, oh, I see that now. And so when that moment in that film, at least in the trailer where the boy says, oh, I see her now, it just really, uh, it really spoke to me uh, because I think that's, that's a, that is uh, a common thread of our human journey just as, as people. And, know, and it's we, a common Sorry, go ahead. And it's a common thread nope. for the whole for all of the characters in the film as well. Everybody yeah. has that slow focus of faith. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about it. I can't it wait. Be. So. I'm just glad we got that topic in because yeah. you ended yeah. it on such a on such a high note for us. Yep, yep. All right, Matt. Do you want to run? And we'll do last little bits without you. We we love no, you. We'd love for you to no, stay. You, but I'll, you wrap it up. Here we go. I'm 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 here. Okay, he's here. I'm, for I'm it. listening to your last little bits at least. <laughs> do you have any last little bits? You just want to, do you want us to wait for the last for you? I'll just I'll just listen. Okay, all right. Try. It. <laughs> you want to go? Well, I think my la- <laughs> my last little bit is going to be self promotion. Um, <laughs> just don't forget, everyone. This is our season finale. Mm-hmm. We will be back in 2021. We'll announce our dates closer to time. But if you haven't had a chance to listen to all of our podcasts, go back and and listen to them. We hope and pray that they speak to you and that there's something that can be a blessing to you. And if you love Deacon Glover as much as we do, he's kind of peppered throughout our, our season one. So you'll be able to like get some of his wisdom and some of our other podcasts that we've recorded previously. And don't forget, we're going to have a blowout sale that starts today on Friday and goes through Labor Day. And we'll see you next year. Next year in the 2021. That's right. Okay. My last little bit is super duper small. And I just want to encourage everybody who has not returned to mass yet to go back to mass. Yes. Um, That is something that is so close to my heart right now. And every time I am fortunate enough to go through the doors of my church, I have nothing but Thanksgiving. It makes the Eucharistic Thanksgiving ever so much more beautiful. And um, I know that it's a scary time and I know that we're all dealing with so much uncertainty, but um, if you're sending your kids to school, if you're going to the grocery store, if you're going to the Home Depot, go back to mass. We need you. We need you. We need you there and you need to be there. Amen. Amen. Deacon. (laughs) Awkward pause. I uh, know awkward. Pa- I didn't know I was coming back to the last little bit, but let me, let me, but what, of these but let have me you done. Pick, uh, right. Let me, I'll piggyback on Fran's last little bit. Um, uh, you know, it's not just Catholic churches, but all of our, uh, all of our churches are hurting right now. And, uh, um, and we're hurting not primarily because we're, uh, short on money from the collection basket. Mm-hmm. We're hurting because we know we have good news. And we want people to share in it and we want to share in it communally together and we've got to support and build each other up. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm, I love that sports are back, but I'm not as thrilled about college football coming back as I am about our church groups starting to be able to meet again and faith, mm-hmm. you know, faith support groups meeting again and those kinds of things, because, uh, you know, what Fran mentioned about the coronavirus and the pandemic, uh, you know, this Fatima movie 
if I'm not mistaken, two of the visionaries died in the 1918 uh, Spanish flu uh, pandemic. And, but they died, uh, they died young, Mm -hmm. but guess what? They saw our blessed mother and they had this extreme moment of grace and, uh, and they have been raised to eternal life because of Jesus Christ. And so um, uh, they died young, but they're living now forever in eternity. And so we have this crazy pandemic going on right now. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get another Fatima vision in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, like there was in the midst of the 1918 pandemic, but, but there's moments of grace there and, and we're not made for this world. I mean, I, it, it's scary to me to go out and the thought of my kids are in school and mm-hmm. in person school right now. And the idea of one of them getting coronavirus and, and passing away, I mean, it's scary. And I, I, I'm not flipping about it. Uh, or dismissive about it, it's scary. But at the same time, uh, you know, I, I try to keep reminding myself in this Fatima film does a great job of it, that we're not made for this world. We're made for, for something bigger. So. Yep. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Will okay, you come back next you year? Absolutely. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we're going to kick it off with you next year. That's right. Let's okay. do it. All if, right. If you'll have us. <laughs> All right. Thank y'all for for all your support and listening. And I hope everybody has a good day and a good Labor Day weekend. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Bellator Colloquium. Please look for Bellator Society on everything social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you like what we're doing here on this podcast, we would love for you to share that with us. Rate us on iTunes to help us get the word out and share, share, share. We cannot wait to chat next time right here on Bellator Colloquium, the conversation for online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful.